Dynasty Blueprints with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined today by Matt Williamson. Matt, what's going on today? What's up, man? How you doing? Doing well. Glad to be back. Glad to uh, have a great guest on today. We've got Bob Harris from Football Diehards. Bob also hosts the uh, Football Diehards radio show over on Sirius XM Radio. Bob, how's it going, man? It's going good, huh? Who's the great guest? I, I'm looking around. <laughs> we're we're honored to we're bringing be, him uh, on later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's after you. No, we're honored to have a, a Hall of Famer, fantasy football Hall of Famer. My Thank wife you. gave me a, a strange look when I mentioned fantasy football Hall of Fame. She didn't know there was such a thing, but we're glad. I to thought have it was on. Hall of Shame, and they just made a horrible mistake in the spelling on the plaque. <laughs> How many guys are in it? I mean, I, I just believe there's like about 15 of us now. Is it really? Yeah. Who are some of the other big names? Uh, just coming in this year, Joe Bryanson, David Dawson, both guys from Football Guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. my boss, Emil Cadlick, Matt Berry. Uh, Matt uh, Berry. I'm leaving people Come on. Off, so I feel Matthew Berry is actually in there. They'll let anybody <laughs> in further proof. Uh, John Hansen uh, in a couple of yeah. years ago. Uh, the usual assortment, Ryan Bonini, William DePillar, a lot of the guys who were around the old days, Greg Kellogg. Uh, yeah. One of the guys that was around back in the days of the uh, of the news group, where a lot of this stuff, you know, it was like I call it the primordial ooze of fantasy football on the internet, the uh, rec sports dot dot whatever, and we all hung around there and kind of talked to each other in geeky fashion, and and uh, uh, some 30 years later, most of us are still around wow. in some form. I mean, when I started playing football, you know, you know, fantasy football, my buddy would wait until Tuesday, get a USA Today, scribble everything down, stick it in, a, right. in an envelope in the mail to us, and by like Thursday would figure out if we won or not. And we hope he didn't screw it up. Well, you know, one of the things one of the things I did early when I was just, you know, decided this should be a business is I went out and invested in a 900 number, and yeah, uh, I had CompuServe, <laughs> and I got the uh, – box scores on Sunday night, and I just recorded them into my 900 number, and that uh, I survived on that for about three years. No kidding. So that's it. So people could call in Sunday yeah. night and get their scores. Innovative. Nah, greedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. We're going to talk about some other, uh, some other you know, memories from the past of Dynasty football. Yes, we'll we'll get to that later. Uh, but right now, let's talk about some of the, the latest news in fantasy football and, and in the NFL. Uh, we, don't, we don't have much this week. The free agency is starting to slow down. We did get uh, the final word on C.J. Anderson. The Broncos matched that contract offer from the Dolphins. So Anderson stays in Denver, and Miami is, is left holding the bag. They've, they've got the second-year back, Jay Ajayi. We know he has the knee issue. They're reportedly talking to Chris Johnson. I don't know if that's you know I don't know if that's the answer. So Bob, what what's Miami going to do now? Uh, they're gonna they're gonna find somebody. They need bodies. I don't you know clearly Adam Gaze and the new staff don't seem to have the great deal of faith in in JHIA. Um, and, and I think you know look Chris Johnson could be a guy. Alfred Morris could be a guy. Hell, Ronnie Hillman could end up being a guy there. It's going to be some kind of co committee when it's all said and done. Because if you look at Chicago's offense last year, how many times they run the ball? I think they led the league well over 600 rushes. So I think, you know, that's something that we should look for is who that's going to be. And maybe Alfred Morris can uh, 
could regain. You know, what happened to him? He, he, you know, the first couple of years, he had a lot more elusiveness than he showed, uh, seemed to be able to, you know, get some yards after contact. All that kind of came to an end the last couple of years. Uh, maybe a change of scenery is all he needs. Uh, you know, the thing about fantasy football and all these guys and the thing with free agency is we get to exercise our love of the optimism of the unknown. We don't know how bad someone's going to suck when they get to a new place. We know how bad they suck now. We know how bad it's been. But, boy, you get a new – you know, you throw some new factors in the equation and it makes it awful interesting. So I think anyone who goes there seems like they're going to get a fair number of opportunities or at least get a chance to compete for those opportunities. So, so you're saying based on what we saw from Gays in, in Chicago and in Denver a couple years ago, whoever his running back is, you, you want a piece of that in fantasy? It's going to be he, – he's going to be busy. And, and, you know, the concern is, is what it is with every running back in the NFL right now is how much is he going to share. And I think, you know, once we get a better feel for that, and part of that's going to be determined by who, who they sign. And, you know, if it's Chris Johnson, I thought Johnson looked great, you know, last year while he was rolling. But there seemed to be a point where the explosiveness was uh, diminishing as the season wore on. And I kind of, right before he was hurt, he didn't look like the same guy as when he first hit the field. So I think that would be a problem for him. And, you know, Morris, like we said, it's, it hasn't been great the last couple of years. We just need to get a feel for what, who, what the roles are going to be there before we get too excited. Speculative buyers, man, you want to jump on the guy as soon as he signed and try not to overpay. But you know, that's, that's going to be the issue is, is everyone's going to be on board that. I think there's a lot to talk about here. I mean, from a, a NFL perspective is, Denver at least eliminates one other need. I mean, they got a lot of problems right now. They got to replace Trevathan. They got to replace Jackson on their defense. Their quarterback situation is a mess. The interior of their offensive line is in trouble. I don't love their pass catchers now in terms of depth. So at least they keep one thing, you know, in house. They didn't handle this very well. But in terms of value for Ajayi and Anderson, I think this is very good for both of them. I mean, if he would have went to Miami, I think both their values drop significantly. I'm sure that both teams will bring in somebody else, um, probably a bigger name in Miami than whoever ends up in Denver. But and I'm sure that you know when they all meet in Miami, the team doctor saying, "Hey guys, you better not trust Ajayi as your only guy." I mean, his knees are grinding together or whatever. Something bad's going on down there, and he could be done at any time, more so than any back in the league. So I, I think that's a worry, but I think he's going to be their lead guy. You think Ajayi is going to be their lead guy? I like him on the field. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think I'm a little worried about Ajayi. I just, you know, there's a reason they're going for another body. Yeah, I just don't think I don't think we can invest much in a dynasty league in Ajayi at this point. You know, what happened last year around the draft with his fall? I think that told us all all we need to know as dynasty owners. I think I think Matt, you had it exactly right on Anderson in Denver. I think there's a lot of questions there. You know, starting with the quarterback. The offensive line seems to be an issue to me as well. And, you know, the, is it going to be the same defense? I mean, they, you know, they, they obviously at some point decided, look, we're going to win championship with defense, and it worked well last year. Uh, you know, losing the guys they've lost, is it going to work as well this year? Will they need more offense? And we don't know that they'll get it. And we haven't seen Anderson do it a whole year yet, and that's always a concern for me. I think he has a big year in Denver, though. And I'm with you. I'm not going out and buying a Jolly right now for Dynasty because I don't think he'll hold up, you know, year after year. But I could. You might be on my redraft team. You know, I think he'll be Miami's right. lead back this year. All right. Well, the Baltimore Ravens are also making some moves. Uh, they've added some depth at, uh, on both sides of the field. 
they signed Mike Wallace, uh, formerly of Minnesota and Miami. He's bounced around a little bit the past couple of years. I was shocked at the two-year deal. I think he got just a little over $11 million. Uh, it seemed like he really was getting no interest from anyone, and then and then that deal kind of came out of nowhere. Matt, any uh, dynasty value left for Wallace? Well, I mean, big picture, what's going on in Baltimore is I think Ozzy and company think that last year was a fluke, and I agree. You know, I mean, their offense couldn't have got hit any harder by injuries, and leading into that last six months or you know month or, or six weeks or month of the year. They lost an unbelievable amount of close games. So, do I think they're back to being, you know, a big time contender? No, but their offseason shows us that the Ravens think that it's not a rebuild. It's not time to panic. Rarely they pick this early in the draft, but they brought in Ben Watson, who's a super smart mentor type. That I think he's perfect for that young group of receivers and especially tight ends, Max Williams, Crockett Gilmore, to kind of be there. Their old man Harris, you know, take everybody under his wing and show him how this thing works. You know, where Steve Smith's the other old guy there, and he's obviously a lot different, you know, influence as an older guy than a guy like, ben, you know, Ben Watson. Wallace, I think he cuts into Perryman a little, who I've been buying like crazy, but they're always going to throw deep. And I think Wallace does have some deep speed still, will probably convert on a handful of big plays throughout the year. Certainly, will call, will draw some deep, uh, you know, defensive pass interference calls, which they're great at doing. And then Weddle's kind of the same thing over there too. Is young secondary with some knuckleheads like you know Hill who got suspended today and Jimmy Smith that they need that veteran guy to stabilize things. And I think Baltimore thinks that hey, we'll be right back next year after a good draft. Yeah, I, I wonder if Weddle would be there if Hill wasn't heading out the door. But either way, I think you're and you nailed it exactly right. And I guess for me, the concern is, you know, with Perriman, you know, what about that knee? It's been mysterious since it first got hurt. They expect, you know, well, I guess we'll start figuring out some things when OTA start. We see what he's doing. But what does Joe Flacco do? I mean, the numbers are out there. If you, you know, do a little research, uh, you know, he's thrown 108 passes that have thrown that have gone 40 more yards in the air. And wow. that's. You know, that's since uh, his first, what, six seasons, seven seasons? And that's more than anyone else in the league. And uh, he's completed more than anyone else in the league except Drew Brees. Having a guy like Mike Wallace, who that's what he does. What does Mike Wallace do best? That's Runs it. straight down the field. You know, and that's what they're going to ask him to do. So I think it's a, kind of a good fit. And I kind of like the mix of guys they got there. I, you know, talked to Steve Smith at the Super Bowl, and he is much more like old man Harris. He will pop somebody in the mouth uh, <laughs> more than that. Uh, tough love is what he will give them. Uh, but, you know, he's going to be back in there. I think Kamar Aiken showed last year that he can be a factor. I know they like Michael Campanero. We'll see if he can remain healthy. And at the tight ends, I, you know, bringing in Watson does help. We'll see what Crockett Gilmore is about. He had a couple surgeries, and we're not sure – you know, Ozzy was kind of vague on when he'll be ready to uh, start working again. Max Williams could obviously use some mentoring, uh, and uh, I think Boyle is going to miss some games. So either way, they've got a lot of guys that can play. And if you know, if Wallace, they're asking him to do a narrow band, the narrow band that he does well, maybe he can excel. I mean, remember that's all really Pittsburgh asked him to do the first two seasons, and he put up some pretty good numbers. What he averaged, 19 and 21. Uh, yards of catch in those first two seasons, uh, you know, on kind of a limited duty. So might work out well for him. You know what? Wallace is an easy guy to say, boy, he's done. He took the big money and went into a tank. But like you said, he's only done one thing well, and, and it's flying outside the numbers faster than anybody on the field. Tannehill's a terrible deep passer. 
Bridgewater's got a weak arm and isn't a isn't right. a good deep passer. I mean, so blame the GMs that went out and gave him big money. I mean, I I don't know that he deserves the heat. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally, Matt. So, uh, Matt, you mentioned you were buying Perriman. And Baltimore has Perriman, of course. He didn't get on the field last year, his rookie year. They've also got the second-year guy, Max Williams, that we've talked about. So in a dynasty league, are you buying Perriman? Are you buying Max Williams? Bob, yes and yes, but the, you know, less enthusiasm than I was a month ago. You know, I mean, I was attacking Perriman. You know, people that got soured on him after using the one seven, one eight, something like that in last year's draft. I was trying to get him about at that same price, even pricier, and happy about it. And I'm still happy about it because I think he is a lot more than what Wallace brings to the table, if right. Like Bob said, that knee, I mean, makes me wonder if Ozzy and company are going, hey, that knee's not quite right. You know, we might need Wallace to you know, be that guy for a while. Um, so that does give me a little bit of pause. You're not hearing a lot of great things or a lot, you know, either way about the knee. Um, I definitely don't think – I think last year is going to be the most productive season by far of Ben Watson's career. You know I mean? It, it, the Saints' tight end position is a gold mine. Unfortunately, that's Fleener now, which is odd. But um, So I, I do think he cuts into Max Williams, though, immediately. So uh, if I was to go out and buy Perryman or Williams, which I think is not a bad move, I'm certainly telling their owner over and over, but, but they just got Wallace, and they did Steve Smith's coming back, and – Watson's going to eat into Williams' time, which and all those things are true. I agree. I think you. I think you. You try to leverage, you know, all this the ladies, all these latest developments into getting some for Perriman. I'm not as keen on Williams. That said, I mean, if you are keen on Williams, that's an ideal system. We know that they like to throw to the tight end a lot. If you think he can develop into that guy, uh, you know, I kind of prefer Gilmore. I'm a little worried about his health, but he's young enough that I'd maybe uh, rather go after him than Williams. He seems to have carved out a better role and built better rapport with Flacco last year. But again, it's another guy just like uh, just like Perriman. The Ravens say nothing. You know, we, we're getting nothing on these guys. And, and, and as Matt alluded to, the fact that we've heard nothing, then they go out and get Wallace. I thought it was interesting that they let Chris Givens move on. They paid a draft pick for him. You thought maybe they would keep him around. Um, but, you know, obviously he wasn't the answer, even though he has all the blazing speed. So, uh, look, it's $11.5 for two years. We all know how these deals work. They're not really that much. Uh, but, but that's still a pretty significant uh, investment. It's a two-year deal. I'm a little worried about Perriman. I'm probably – I'm probably laying a little bit off, but if I got them, I'm holding them. All right, and speaking of trades, the Patriots made a big trade uh, this week as well. We've seen them do this in the past. Uh, they did it a couple years ago, dumping Richard Seymour, and, and the entire NFL was surprised by that move. And now they've done the same with Chandler Jones, uh, who was due to become a free agent this time next year. They ship him out west to Arizona. They get Jonathan Cooper, the guard who's been a little bit of a disappointment. They get the second-round pick as well. Um, is this another move that's going to make Belichick and, and New England look like geniuses, or what do we expect from this move? Bob? I thought it was interesting, Ty Law coming out today saying Belichick could cost his team uh, championships with his personnel moves. In this case, you know, I mean, I don't know what you see in Cooper. I, I, I don't see a lot there. In uh, Chandler Jones, you do see a lot there, but, you know, again, you're going to have to come up with a new deal for him. You wonder how much he's going to want, have a little bit of an issue with the weed. Apparently, these players like their weed. You'll be surprised to learn. No. At some point, the NFL might figure out that, hey, let's, let's, let's not test for these things or get interested <laughs> in these things, and maybe the headlines go away. That aside, 
I do think, you know, the Cardinals have been trying to put together a pass rush for the last three years. Uh, this helps them do that with, uh, you know, with, with a guy instead of, you know, John Abram or Dwight Freeney, you know, the guys they've been doing, they go with Chandler Jones. It, it might work out for them. I, I, don't, I don't see the upside for New England here. Maybe they like that draft pick. Matt, any thoughts on the trade? Yeah, a lot. You know, from New England's perspective, and I, I urge everyone to check it out, Bill Barnwell does, it came out yesterday on ESPN.com, talking about every team and their draft capital. And the Patriots, before this trade, had the least draft capital in, in this entire class. Well, we know they got their first-round pick taken from them. And we know that they want to invest, you know, through the, through the draft. I mean, Belichick obviously values those picks quite a bit. So I think the second-round pick is key here. The other thing you have to note is Hightower, Collins, Sheard, Ryan, and Butler are all scheduled to be free agents with Chandler Jones next year. So I think Belichick looks at Olivier Vernon's contract and says, that's what Jones is going to get. You know, I mean, he's a great pass rusher. He's only getting better, highly versatile, great athlete. Can I... You know, can I use that second round pick this year where we're hurting on picks? Get you know, sell him as opposed to next year when I'll get nothing for him, or at most I'll only get a end of the third round com- compensatory pick the following year, which is 2018. So I think he just kind of made a Richard Seymour move and said, I'm going to sell him while I still can, even though it hurts us as a football team. I know we're a contender, we're not as good without him, but if you remember Cooper, Cooper was the best guard prospect I can remember. I mean, he was unbelievable coming out of North Carolina. He broke his leg, supposedly has lost all his confidence, has not played well. He's been benched twice. Arizona was going to move him to center. Well, that's a Belichick move. Was, hey, we'll take him and, and you know save a few million by dumping Jones, and we'll use that on you know, Chris Long, is who they just signed. And, you know, if you remember, Skarnecchia, the, the great, Patriots offensive line coach retired wasn't around last year but he's there now I bet he's Coming chomping back. at the bit you know to to get his hands on Cooper if he can get him back to the player he was coming out of school this is a steal I mean he could be a pro bowler but he hasn't looked like that way at all and as Bob said Arizona is obviously a contender win now mode all the way they're a massive heavy blitz team and Jones is that edge guy they haven't had. All their pressure comes up the middle with Blitzes and Calais Campbell. They've been looking for an edge guy forever. And especially if they can lock him up long-term before he hits free agency, This you can see where both teams are coming from. It, it doesn't have a lot of dynasty impact, but I do think it's a big move we're talking about. Well, another team making moves is the Oakland Raiders. We're used to these guys uh, signing the big name, maybe the player who who's past his prime they're trying to squeeze the last little bit out of but they're they're building their team a different way this year in the past couple of years this offseason so far they've been focusing on the offensive line I know we've talked uh, on here that we've expected them to sign a running back or maybe draft a running back so far through the first uh, week plus of free agency Latavius Murray's job still looks safe you know hold your breath if you're a Murray believer uh, but they have signed they re-signed Donald Penn they signed uh, at least one other offensive lineman. I'm, I'm forgetting his name, but Matt, I know you wanted to share some thoughts on that. Yeah, they got the best offensive lineman on the market in Kalecchio Semele, who's going to, now that you have Penn, they got better at two positions, because Semele, they paid him like a starting left tackle. He's a great guard. He probably is just an okay left tackle. So you put Penn back at left tackle where he was, Assembly at left guard, 
Last year's free agent Hall and Hudson at center. Real good draft pick from two years ago. Gabe Jackson at right guard. He's been better on the right side. And all of a sudden, you have a massive, nasty offensive line. I mean, we know their skill position players are in play. I've said a million times, I think Murray's a backup. So, you know, it, 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 they, they might have one of the better offenses in the league, and the line has a lot to do with it. And then now in the draft and now in the going forward, they pretty much can concentrate 90% of their efforts, with the exception of running back, on the defensive side of the ball, which they need to do, especially in secondary. But it wouldn't shock me if Zeke Elliott ends up in Oakland. Bob, any thoughts on the Raiders' moves this offseason? Uh, I, I like everything they've done. You know, I, Bruce Irvin, you know, there's still some question there. You know, can he raise the sack totals? But with him and Khalil Mack on that side of the ball, opposing coordinators are going to be going nuts trying to account for all that. Uh, and I agree. Matt nailed it. That offensive line is the thing for me. That I, I mean, you've got the skilled players. We might not agree as much on Murray. I, you know, talking to some of the guys that cover the team locally, uh, you know, they'll contend, that, you know, in particular that maybe he needed a little time to mature into the role and understand what it takes to be an NFL player. Look, some guys never do that. You know, he's, look, the body is there. The skills are there. The speed is there. You know, the head's got to get in place, and maybe that's something that will come with a little more time or not. The fact that they're looking for a complimentary back suggests that they, you know, they're not sure either. I think if he can put it all together, I love, you know, there's two speed, two things you can't coach, right, size and speed. And uh, Murray rolls out of bed with plenty of both. So I, I guess that's maybe as much me hoping uh, for an outcome as it is, you know, the likely outcome. But I, I'm willing to, to bet on him a little bit, you know, for another year. Another year. Uh, especially with that offensive line and with that passing attack. You know, Derek Carr, only Dan Marino has thrown more touchdowns over his first two seasons than Derek Carr, uh, and that includes guys like Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson. I mean, he's been pretty oppressive. They're only getting better. We'll see what Clive Walford can maybe progress a little bit at the tight end position and provide a threat there. Uh, so I love everything about the Raiders at the moment. All right. Well, Bob, we mentioned earlier some some of your history in, in fantasy football and with a chance to have you on here, we'd love to hear more. So if you don't mind, just tell us how you even got started playing fantasy football and, and how you turned that into your career. Uh, you know, it was the year of our Lord, 1986. We were working <laughs> with parchment and uh, driving in horse-drawn buggies. No. It was, a friend of mine came back. I lived in Tucson. A friend of mine came back from San Diego and said, You guys, we've got this thing, man. You're going to love it. It's called fantasy football. And we did love it. I mean, it was the most amazing thing ever. It was remarkable. It was re it was a revelation. I mean, we have teams. We're as smart as GMs. We sit around. We draft. We do all the things. <laughs> we sit there and cuss about every Sunday. And so we started playing this, and it, it took me about a week to realize, man, there's not enough information to make the best decisions. I mean, you know, the USA Today, the injury report comes out Wednesday. This just in, it changes by the time Sunday comes around. And the first thing you realize is, man, that dude that was probable Wednesday isn't playing today. So that was kind of how I got into it. I did it. We were in Tucson. It was called the, the Tucson Fantasy League. I created a little newsletter just for the league called the TFL Report. That eventually in 1993 turned into a business. I send out faxes like three times a day. Steve Cohen, who is now the honcho at Sirius NFL, uh, radio uh, was an intern at W Fan Radio in New York. He would call me, give me all the info. I'd type it up into a fax. We'd send that fax out three times a day. And wow. uh, so that's kind of how it got rolling. Then this thing came along called the internet. Who knew? All the stuff I was putting in the mailbox and sending out by fax, I could send for like almost free. 
imagine that. So, <laughs> you know, the technology came along and kind of enabled it. And it just kind of grew from there. And, and yes, I was about 15 years ahead of my time. Uh, I'm still in the hole in perpetuity, uh, but it's a lot more fun now, you know, just having all the technology that, you know, Twitter, the, the ability to assemble the information and all the things like that and disseminate it easily and quickly has been, you know, has made it really a remarkable journey. So uh, one that I've enjoyed immensely. That's unbelievable. And Ryan, what were you doing in 86? I was 13. Yeah, I was 10. So third or fourth grade, I guess. That is such a cool story though, Bob. I love it. Uh, I, I think one of the things that's been most interesting about the whole journey is the way the NFL has treated fantasy. You know, in the early 90s, I started calling all the teams and saying, look, uh, I provide information to these people. And every PR department said, oh, thank God, give us your number. Oh, really? And I ended up, yeah, I had like, uh, I think of the, I had over 20 teams that if you called and said the word fantasy, they just gave you my number. And at the same time, I convinced them, well, I've got to be able to give these guys some information to try to sell them and get them off your back. And so I created relationships with, uh, you know, people in the media departments of pretty much all the teams. And that started to extend to the local newspapers who were getting the same calls. You know, they'd get a thousand calls from fantasy owners, uh, you know, at the sports desk. And uh, they were more than happy to shovel them off to me. And then there came the point where the NFL said, oh, wait, look. Guys who play fantasy football watch all the game. This might be interesting. And they kind of – it took them a little time to figure it out. They disavowed us for many years. I think it was about 96, 97 that they started to realize this might be worthwhile. These guys spend money. They're good fans. And since then, they've obviously, uh, you know, jumped full in. And once the league started blowing the promotional wind into the sale, we all moved much more quickly. Bob, along those lines, I think I've said this on the, on the air here before on the Dynasty Blueprint – when I started at ESPN, I was there for 10 years. That was so 10 and a half years ago, basically. You know, I had been playing fantasy, and I'd been there at ESPN for like a year, and I would go to my editors almost every year and be like, hey, you know, I mean, I can help out with fantasy too. And, and they were always like, Williamson, you are a scout in the leagues. Fantasy is so believable. <laughs> so believable. Right. You. you know, you, that would just ruin you. I mean, you can't be doing that. And in the last five years, they're like, give us everything you possibly can with fantasy. I mean, it's unbelievable. It has changed the face of, you know, that that level of interest. And look, now you can't turn on your television box and watch a game. I mean, what is the Red Zone channel? It's the Fantasy Channel. We all know it. NFL knows it. Television box. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have we mentioned Bob's old? <laughs> no. This just in. <laughs> so Bob, we we love the NFL. Obviously, we love fantasy football, but but we are a dynasty show. So so talk to us about your history with dynasty when you started playing, when it, when you started seeing that transition from just yearly redraft leagues to to more of a, a diehard mentality where people wanted to keep this going, you know, throughout the spring and summer and, and keep active with those those managing those leagues. And Bob, along those lines, yeah, I think one of the things that I found. Does Dynasty seem like it's growing to you by leaps and bounds too? You know, along the it does seem like it's growing. I think one of the, one of the, the issues early on was the you know the technology. Look, and you know I think my first Dynasty league or the first that I was introduced to it was kind of around ninety six or ninety seven, and and look, not everyone looked at their email every day. It was like you know I mean yeah. there was no devices. We didn't have all the communications we have now, and the league management software 
you know, was just kind of coming into its own and wasn't necessarily set up for Dynasty. So I think my early experiences with Dynasty were miserable. Owners bailing, uh, you know, having a hard time keeping guys interested, having a hard time getting a hold of guys and, and making moves in a timely manner. So I kind of bailed on it for a number of years, and it was only kind of recently uh, in the last five, I think the last five or six years, that I started getting interested again. And, you know, my show on Sirius, my co-host, Mike Dempsey, that's almost all he all he'll play anymore. I mean, he'll do regular leagues, but he's been, you know, he kind of pushed me. And now that I'm back into it, I mean, it's so much that I can't believe I got out of it. I mean, it is, it does add a layer of enjoyment, difficulty, uh, you know, a challenge that's, you know, with so much different than season long. And I love playing regular season long and I love playing daily. Uh, but Dynasty kind of gives you that chance to build something. And I think that's what we all kind of crave. And that, that was the reason you got into fantasy in the first place was to, you know, build a team. Well, you know, building one every year is kind of fun. But building one over the course of time uh, is so much better. And I think uh, – I, I do think it's something that seems to be a growing, uh, a growing area. And one of the great things about it is the league management, you know, kind of helps everybody figure it out and even guys who – you know, can't stay on top of things constantly, can at least keep up with the league management software. So either in Dynasty or just just in yearly leagues, redraft leagues, how have you seen your strategy change over the years? You know, you've got so much experience. I mean, I remember when I first started playing, and, and I started with Dynasty leagues uh, 10 or 12 years ago, you know, it was, it was all running backs. I mean, you, your first four or five picks were running backs. And wide receiver was just almost an afterthought, which seems crazy now. So what are some some strategy changes that you've made over the years? I think the biggest change from, you know, the, the, the biggest change coming from just regular season long to dynasty is understanding, you know, the talent trumps opportunity, which it's the inverse in season long. I mean, you're looking for guys who are going to come in and do something today and are going to get the ball Every time, I mean, those are the things you're looking for, and in Dynasty, that totally, I mean, that totally turns itself over. And uh, you know, every year, I mean, you, you know, you, not to focus on season long, but I mean, you look at the last three or four years, who's been winning people's? And the same in Dynasty, if you had some of these running backs named Zach Stacy, C.J. Anderson, uh, Justin Forsett, guys like that on your roster, turns out they can come in handy. And I think that's the thing you've learned is not to invest too heavily in the high-end running backs. I mean, you want one. But if you don't have one, it's not going to kill you. And I think that works the same in Dynasty as it does in season long. And, and, and I think one of the things that, you know, I've, I've been doing more is just it's focused me to learn more about receiving talent and what receivers do and, you know, who can run the entire route tree and things like that going into the offense. I, I think those are the things I pay attention to more now than I did in the past. I have a question for both of you along those lines. You both have been playing longer than I have. But early in the inception of Dynasty – were quarterbacks a bigger deal? Did people look at it like, yeah. hey, I'm really building a team. I'm going to draft Drew Brees and start him for the next 12 years. You know, I would think that would be you know the, the normal strategy is, boy, I, I got to get my quarterback. I think, you know, look, I think there's a level of quarterback. Like, you know, right now, I mean, if you see Andrew Luck, you know, coming off a lousy year and someone's disappointed in him. I mean, if you have a guy you know is going to be a high-end producer or you feel strong is going to be a high-end producer for the next decade – yeah, I'd move a lot of things to get a hold of that. I just don't know how many of those guys are out there. The NFL right now, I mean, there's, what, 17, 18 guys that can actually play quarterback at a starting level, 
And so, and there's about four or five who are truly elite and have the things around them you need. So if I can get one of those truly elite guys, yeah, I'll move a lot of things for them. But that again is becoming a more transitory thing. And it's something the value-based drafting taught us in season long is, man, don't over, don't overpay for the quarterback. There's going to be another bus leaving that station any day now. So Bob, you've talked a lot about what fantasy football was like in the beginning uh, and in, in the early days of, of the hobby. If there was one thing you could bring back, you could, you could put in modern-day fantasy football, what would that be? More face-to-face, -face, more sitting at one table. Uh, you know, the, I, look, I think the Internet is a wonderful thing. I'm a hermit. I rarely leave my home. Uh, and the Internet is a big reason why. Uh, by the same token, some of the things that are, are the most fun about fantasy football, the camaraderie, and you can enjoy those things virtually. I'm not saying you can't because I certainly do. But there's nothing beats sitting at a table with 12 of your really close friends, uh, you know, or 11 close friends, sitting there cursing at each other, throwing things at each other, you know, literally snatching guys out from each other's uh, noses in person as opposed to on the Internet. It's fun on the Internet. But the face-to-face -face interaction is something that I think, uh, you know, I would like to see more of. I know a lot of people still do it. Uh, you know, I'm in 20-plus leagues every year. It just doesn't work that well for me. And I think that would be the one thing. If I could personally change, I would play in more. I would, it would be a more personal experience again. I think that's an awesome point, Bob. And I'm in one redraft league, and I've been in the league since high school. They're all my high school buds. They're my best buds from way back when. And the only reason I'm in it is because draft weekend. We go get a cabin for three nights right. and just it's utter debauchery. For three nights, just, you know, like 16 guys, they come in from Jacksonville and San Francisco for Labor Day weekend, and we have a blast. And we put the big yeah. board up on the wall, and you take the sticker, and you, you walk up there, and everyone oohs and ahs. And, you know, after that, I mean, I'm into the league, and I hope I win. Don't get me wrong, but... The biggest reason we're all in it is for draft weekend. It's a blast. So let's turn the conversation back to modern-day Dynasty. Uh, I want to ask both of you, who's one player that you're buying in Dynasty leagues right now? I'll go ahead and go with uh, TJ Yeldon. Uh, I know that there's <laughs> some level of panic uh, over the fact that Chris Ivory is now a Jacksonville Jaguar. They gave him a five-year deal. There's all kinds of money involved, but of course it's not a five-year deal. It's not all that money involved. It's maybe a one- or two-year deal. And what do we know about you know Chris Ivory? Uh, he, you know, not that he's a speed guy, but much like a dragster, he runs up and down the strip a couple times. He tends to, you know, a tire falls off or something. He gets beat up. Uh, I think people are going to overreact to his arrival. I mean, it's not great news. So I'm not going to say that. But Yeldon is still a very young player, uh, capable all-around back. And the Jaguars, I think, are going to be an improving team over the next couple years. So I think if people were looking, you know, a little bit disappointed in, in the arrival of Chris Ivory, I might try to leverage that into some TJ Yeldon for me. It's funny you bring that up because he might be the the player we've talked about the most since starting this podcast, right, Ryan? Ah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think I'm there very much on board. I mean, before the Ivory signing, I was saying I'd give up 1-3 in the rookie draft. He was like my fourth overall um, dynasty running back. And I think this news hurts him a little bit, but not as bad yeah. as everybody thinks. I mean, Yeldon's not going to score zero or one touchdowns again. Right. Right. And I look at you look at that overall offense. I mean, at some point they don't want to throw the ball as much as they threw the ball last year. I get that. Maybe that's why Ivory is there. 
But I mean, for all the uh, excitement, enthusiasm over Ivory last year, and it was a solid year, there were games where he disappears, and he disappears a lot of times due to his health, and that was the problem in New Orleans before he was a problem with the Jets. So uh, for me, that's a big deal. And again, don't let the big contract numbers, you know, fool you. That This is not a five-year, $30 million contract. I mean, it is on paper, but that's not what it's going to be, and nobody expects it to be that. No, you're right. What about you, Matt? Any any one player you're targeting and buying everywhere you can? Yeah, and I've brought up a lot of them over the past couple of weeks, you know, and we, we've diagnosed a lot of my trades. Um, Philip Dorsett is certainly one. Clive Walford. We talked about Max Williams. I'd much rather have Walford than I would Max Williams. You know, we talked about that Raider offense. I think it's got a chance to be very, very good. Uh, Yeldon still is a buy for me. Perryman's a buy, but it took a little bit of a hit. I mean, he was certainly, I was targeting somebody heavy, but I'm still still in on him. One I want to throw at you, Ryan, I mean to ask you about, and I didn't love him coming out. I own him nowhere, but his stock has fallen so much, and I'm not sure it's his fault. What do you guys think about Nelson Aguilar? Yeah, his, his stock has fallen off quite a bit. Uh, I don't have the ADP numbers in front of me, but he's fallen, I'd say he's fallen three to four rounds in dynasty startup drafts since uh, since last preseason. You know, I mean, I think people were high on him because we still had the visions of Chip Kelly turning that into a, to, you know, one of the top offense in the, in the NFL, and that obviously didn't happen. So now I think people are just left, you know, holding the bag with Aguilar and not exactly sure what they have. I mean, he's a possession guy. And they didn't use him last year at all. So, you know, that's that's a concern. This offense, it looks like it's going to focus on the tight ends and the running backs. Does Aguilar even have a role? He's he's not better than Jordan Matthews. He's not he's not going to get more targets than Zach Ertz, I don't think. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely not buying Aguilar. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not either. And talked to Chris McPherson from the Eagles website uh, just last weekend, and the guy he kept talking about, who he's been talking about for a while, I'll grant you, is Josh Huff, a, a guy that's you know all the talent, can't stay healthy, uh, but but maybe an interesting guy. They brought Chris Givens in and signed him today, uh, so there's another body. And, and another thing McPherson did note, you know, Zach Ertz going to be very busy and and maybe think about what what he did over that last part of the season. Remember, he came into the season uh, with the abdominal issue. So, you know, well, didn't get up to full speed, I don't think, until well into the season. I think the other thing about Philadelphia, you know, in a, in a related topic, you mentioned the running backs there. You know, you just wonder if this is going to be an Andy Reid-style offense, and it is. If, uh, you know, Ryan Matthews is a great back. I think, you know, we all know what his issues are. But do you start looking at a guy like, uh, you know, Darren Sproles or even Kenyon Barner as a stopgap? Because it seems like the smaller, shiftier backs are kind of the players that excel in that offense. Yeah, those are good points, and we've been talking about Chip Kelly a little bit. Uh, two guys I've been buying all offseason are Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. You know, They both catch the ball very, very well. I think their teams are going to be losing a lot, but I'm starting to worry. I mean, the Browns and the Niners are just getting worse. I mean, Cleveland's not doing anything in free agency. All their good players are leaving. I think these are the two by far worst rosters in the league, is it just time to get out totally on Browns and Niners and just say, boy, these, these organizations are too bad? Yes. No, well, <laughs> I mean, look, there's, I mean, I, you know, you say that there's value everywhere, and I'm a huge proponent of, of being the fantasy fireman. At some point, 
you run into the burning building of value and you drag a body out. You get something, sure. you know, you get something for it. And because everyone else is running the other way. And so, you know, it pays to run in at some point. Uh, both those teams, though, uh, the fire is very hot. I'm not eager to no, get it's hot, yeah. So, And it's growing. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, look, hot. I mean, Hyde, we can go back to, you know, one game last year where he looked like what everyone said he was going to be. I haven't seen him look like that guy since. The injury's a concern. They're overwhelming desire. And, I mean, they've had a parade of guys through there looking at them. Uh, Sean Drawn, they re-signed. But, I mean, they've still been looking at guys. I just wonder if that's not going to be another committee because Chip Kelly uh, told me last year he likes to play with lots of running backs. Ryan, are the Browns and Niners just poisoned to you, or can you find something in the fire? Uh, the Niners are for sure. You know, I just don't. I don't see much direction there. I, I'm totally done with Kelly. I mean, I don't believe in him at all, and in the NFL. And yeah, I'm just avoiding San Francisco altogether. Uh, you know, Cleveland. I mean, Josh Gordon is still there, as far as we know, at least. Yeah. And so I would, I would not say I'm totally off the Browns. Uh, I like Duke Johnson as well, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm avoiding all 49ers. You know, if I could just jump in with this, you know, just seeing right now the, the, the Patriots and Bears are working out a trade that's going to take uh, Martellus Bennett to uh, New England. Oh, really? Um, that's, yeah, that's kind of like interesting. That. Uh, yeah, Bill Belichick is wheeling and dealing. Uh, they love to have the two tight end threats. Martellus Bennett, a solid enough blocker and a decent enough receiving threat. Maybe they can play those two guys. Maybe extend Gronk's career a little bit and keep him from taking such a whooping. I certainly like it if I'm a Patriots fan. I mean, if I'm the Bears have been trying to move, you know, assets because they know they're not going to win now. I mean, they just want picks and they they re-signed Zach Miller. So this I don't know what the compensation is, but this seems to make a lot of sense for both teams and certainly makes the Patriots offense, you know, more dangerous. Mid late round, mid to late round picks, yeah. multiple in exchange for Bennett. So not unreasonable for them. No. Maybe that's why they wanted that additional second-round pick, too, on the uh, Chandler-Jones trade. Yeah, that makes some sense. It freed up some cap room to do it. Yeah, I think, it, it, you know, they've been they've been looking for that second tight end since, you know, since yes. the Hernandez stuff. It's I thought it was pretty clear that the, the Bears were going to move on from Martellus Bennett. You know, the, he had the injury. Yep. It seemed like a minor injury. He never really came back from it. He was, he was gone from there, you know, after – Week 10, basically. Does Donald yeah. Brown to the Patriots move the needle at all for you guys? It doesn't for me. No. 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 No, I, I do like, uh, I like Bob breaking news on the air, though. That's, Love it. That's great. Um, so let's, let's wrap up with the, the other end of the spectrum. One player that you're selling in Dynasty. I guess if it was me, I'm thinking everyone's going to be very excited about Lamar Miller. I'm kind of excited about him but I'm thinking you'll never be able to get more for him than you will before he takes his first snap as a Houston Texan. Because at that point, we might find out that everyone who's coached him in Miami was absolutely right, and there's a reason he wasn't the guy that we all wanted him to be, you know? And I think that's something as fantasy owners we need to keep in mind is, you know, we see a talent on the field. We see him on the field Sunday. The coaching staff sees him every single day. They're around him all the time. They understand, there's, and there's often reasons why – a guy is not getting the kind of uh, play that we expect him to or we think he should get, and it's because he shouldn't really get it. We'll find out about Lamar Miller, but I think right now, for me, 
not knowing for sure and knowing what the expectations are for him, getting that full-time role and maybe, you know, people hoping he steps in. I think I try to maximize that and get a bunch of stuff in return. That's a great one, Bob. And I've been saying the exact same thing over and over that, you know, we all think we're smart and we do know a thing or two, but we don't know as much as the coaching staff. So, I mean, even if they're not a good NFL coaching staff, he's gone through several of them at Miami and none of them thought he could be a workload guy. I mean, are they all idiots? <laughs> I mean, I bet not. Right. You know, it seems like over the past few months before this, uh, before the Calvin Johnson news and, and uh, his surprise retirement, everybody was saying, okay, it's time to move on from Calvin Johnson and Dynasty. Go ahead and sell him now. And at that point, it was just too late. Yeah. So one, one thing I try to do is sell those wide receivers, or really any, any position player, at the at the end of their peak, and I think now might be the time to sell AJ Green. Uh, this may be, you know, I don't want to say the beginning of the end, but it may be the beginning of the downhill slope for him. Yet he's still a first rounder in dynasty startups. He still has massive trade value. If you can sell him, you know, for a younger wide receiver and a first round pick, I saw somebody today mention like a Devonte Parker and a first. Those are the kind of deals I might be looking for just to buy some years back. That's a good one, especially because yep. they just lost Jones and Sanu. He's going to get banged around even more. You know, he doesn't really have that body type. You know, you can still get a lot for him for sure. At the end of last year, I traded traded him to a contender for Lockett, Funchess, a 17 second, and a 17 first. And I'm doing cartwheels about it now. Yeah, I think one of the things, you know, I always look at it in free agency. You know, you look at a guy like Doug Martin that re-signed with the Buccaneers. Well, you know, I wanted him to re-sign with the Buccaneers. I know money is the big factor for the player, but for me, I look at it and I say, wow, what got you that big money? There was a supporting cast. There was the scheme. There was a coaching staff. There were all these things that combined to get you those things. In A.J. Green's place, what's left right now? Andy Dalton, Hugh Jackson's gone. Don't overlook that. You're right, Jones is the new also gone. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of with you on this one, I, and, and, and especially about the build. He's not... He's tall and he's slender, but he's not that prototypical beastly number one kind of guy. Ryan, the last thing I want to mention is kind of along these lines is I listened to Christopher Harris's podcast today, and I think it was one recorded yesterday, and he went basically through all the quarterbacks, which aren't many, a lot of running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, mostly wide receivers and, and running backs that changed teams in free agency over the last five years, and we all got excited about it. You know, Steven Jackson's going to Atlanta, you know, and it's unbelievable whenever he starts listing them all, 80% of them are busts in their new home. So I think a sell overall is any skill guy that changed teams. Yeah, so that I think that's a good point, and that goes back to Bob's point of Lamar Miller. You know, he, we've got these high hopes now that, oh, the Texans have – a run-heavy offense, and they know how to use running backs. Um, I think Bob's right. This might be the the highest value Miller ever has. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, well, thanks again to Bob Harris for joining us. Bob, uh, tell everyone where they can find you and find your work. They can find me at footballdiehards.com. You can find me on the Twitters at the uh, at footballdiehard, singular. And you can hear me in the offseason every, every Saturday night on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. I believe we're on from like uh, uh, 7 to 10 Eastern time. And uh, during the season, you can catch me six days a week, uh, every day but Saturday, and that's like, like right in the middle of the evening. So tune in. Check it out. I'm there. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Bob, and we'll be back next time. <laughs>